So the next decision that we are going to be looking at is the Gondwana decision, right? So we know that the law of civil procedure at the magistrate's court insofar as executions of immovable property had been uh, significantly transformed by the constitution, right? But what happened was that banks now realized that there was a gap in the sense that the same rules of the high court, right? Rules in the high court permitted a registrar of the high court as opposed to a clerk of the magistrate court permitted that registrar to enter in a default judgment where the defendant did not put a notice of intention to defend in and the registrar could then grant a default judgment and where the property was subject to a mortgage, the registrar could then declare that property specially executable. And that specially executable means that the, that the sheriff could go right away and attach the immovable property of the judgment data. So the sheriff didn't need to first go and attach the property of the immovable property of the judgment data and then come back. And then if the clerk or the register is satisfied, then only they will, will get a, a, a warrant of execution against the immovable property. In this scenario, right, under these rules, as it was at the time in the high court, a, a, a creditor could approach the court, right, to, to declare mortgage property. So the creditor had mortgaged the property, specially executable. And specially executable meant that the, the sheriff could go straight away and attach the movable property. And so where there had been default judgment, the creditor approached the court and the the defendant had not entered a notice of intention to defend and the register of the high court had ordered default judgment because the property was subject to this bond the, the register of the high court to declare this property specially executable and the sheriff could go and attach this property. And this entire process would happen without any type of judicial supervision, right? And you'll see some of the facts of the case that I've set out there uh, in your summary. And in this instance, like in the Gondwana instance, right? So the nice thing about uh, law is that if you need the courts need to make a decision, they can of course look at previous decisions. So the Gundwana matter came before the Constitutional Court when I was working at the court, and my judge told me, "Can you please compile a memo for me on the Gundwana on the Gundwana case and what judgment you think I should give on the Gundwana case?" And so, fortunately for me. The law allowed me to go and look at precedent and of course there was a major precedent in the Jafta case in a similar situation in the magistrate's court, right, around the magistrate's act and now I could use that in order to uh, prepare a memo for my judge on the constitutionality of these rules in the high court, right. So when you are tasked with answering a question, nothing hurts in you using two cases to give your answer where both cases are applicable, even if both cases make the point, right? So in, in Jafta, the court said that in the context of a clerk of the court, the court couldn't declare default judgment and execute on someone's home where no judicial oversight was involved. Now we see in Gundwana, the same is held in that the registrar of the high court cannot declare the immovable property that makes up someone's home specially executable, right? Because then there'd be no judicial supervision. And as in the Jafta judgment, the Constitutional Court held that these particular rules of the High Court also amounted to a violation of Section 26.1 and Section 23 of the Constitution, right? And then the, the, 
the, high, the constitutional court judges in this case reiterate some of the points or some of the factors that the court had mentioned in the Jafta case, which the presiding officer must consider when determining whether or not to allow execution against immovable property, that's the debtor's home, right? And this includes how execution would impact on the debtor. So are we dealing with a poor debtor that is at risk of potentially losing their home? And so the impact on that data would be severe, which means that the court must be very careful to grant execution in a scenario where the impact would be so severe on the data. So we see the precedent set in JAFTA uh, being reiterated here in the concept of Gondwana in the context of the High Court, right? So what the Constitutional Court points out is that the court's not saying that execution is this terrible, horrible thing and executions are of judgments forms are... Uh, part of the everyday uh, economic life of a country. Uh, but the court is saying that you must consider the impact, right? And sometimes, even if the impact is severe on the judgment debtor, the court might sometimes still feel that uh, the property should be declared uh, executable, right? And that might be, for instance, if we think about one of the JAFTA factors, how it will impact on the creditor, because it's possible that it might have a severe impact on the creditor not to declare the property executable. So the court also says in, in Gundwana, it makes the same point around uh, looking that the court must look if there are reasonable alternatives. Is there another way that the debtor can settle the debt? Can they, for instance, um, enter into a payment plan with the judgment creditor, right? Is there some other reasonable way that the judgment debtor can settle the debt? So now we see that point being legally reinforced in the Gondwana decision. So if you're making the, the comment in your papers, you're pointing out the law to me, you can say in Jafta, the court said you must consider are there other reasonable alternative ways to settle the debt. The court reiterated this or the court stressed this again. The court emphasized this again in the Gondwana matter. You will also see in Gondwana, the court again speaks about this concept of bad faith, which the court speaks about in Jafta when it speaks about abuse of the process by judgment creditors. So are the judgment creditors being a bit dodgy? Are they using the court processes? Are they using the vulnerability of a particular judgment debtor who might be ignorant of the law, uh, who might not might be ignorant of their rights, who might not even have the money to travel to court? Is this judgment debtor abusing the processes? So here we're seeing Gondwana, the court again says whether the judgment creditor, sorry, is the creditor abusing the process. In Gondwana, we again see the court says that you have to look at whether the judgment creditor is acting in bad faith in proceeding with the execution and then finally the court points out again that you have to you have to take into account how severe it is but severity in and of itself the impact that it has on the particular judgment uh, data is not itself determinant it is not the be and all and end all but it's a very important factor whether the data will be rendered homeless whether the data will lose its security of tenure is a very, very important factor in determining whether or not the court should allow for execution of that immovable property.